This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. First? We hear first and we think we're ordering things. This is the first one up. So, okay, we've got the order. This was the first miracle Jesus ever did. But the word here isn't the normal Greek word used for first. It's not protos. It's not first and then come deuteros, second. It's arche. It's chief. This is the first, the chief, the archetype of all the signs declaring the glory of the crucified word and whose point is to bring about faith, belief, and his disciples believed in him. See, I mean, if we're going to, I don't know, it's playoff time, so well, brackets are no longer on my mind after yesterday. And the brownies got destroyed, right? I knew that was coming and I didn't even watch. They can't let me down if I don't watch. Right? But if we're going to kind of play a bracket of, with Jesus' miracles, and kind of, I mean, is this even a first seed miracle? Yeah. Others in John's gospel seem clearer, better to show forth the glory of God. The official son healed with a mere word, go, your son will live. At Bethsaida, Bethesda, excuse me, a 38-year-old invalid is told, take up your bed and walk. Feeding of the 5,000. Oh, that's a big one. John 6, right? Then walking on water, tucked into the middle of it. Wow, doesn't that show forth God's glory in an amazing way? He heals the blind man. You get a whole chapter on that, John 9. And then, come on. Water into wine versus the raising of Lazarus. What's chief? What's the chief miracle? Well, according to God's word, John 2, Cana and Galilee, water into wine. The text hints at why this is chief. It alludes to more, and the text itself must finally give answer for itself. And it does, beautifully. So let's get to that text. On the third day... There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And you say, okay, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So on Tuesday, what do you do with third day? Well, you might go to the Gospel of John and say, well, what day is it? And when you actually look at the Gospel of John, you see that John has asked some questions by some people. That's day one. Because then in John 1.29, you see the time marker on the next day. Ah, so day two. And then John 1.35, on the next day, ah, we're on day three. And then John 1.43, on the next day, four. And if you're keeping track, John 2 comes after John 1, right? So why are we told on the third day there was a wedding? Is it a couple days down the road, kicked from, you know, the day before, the days before? Time markers are a little strange here. And you may say, well, who really cares? 
about the time markers? Well, the Holy Spirit does because he included one, right? On the third day. And when we hear as Christians, on the third day, what do we start thinking? Passion and resurrection bells and whistles start going off. New creation talk starts coming up. Or something, something that was old, something that is, something's new, really. That's what we hear. Something is new. Some sign of the new creation is here, brought about by those great three days of the death, the rest in the tomb, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mary's there. She's not mentioned by name ever in the Gospel of John. So is the mother of our Lord. People know her name, right? The mother of Jesus was there. Now, our our friends over in Rome and the followers of the Pope, they see John 2 as a wonderful teaching about about Mary being the intercessor evermore. That if Mary, if you talk to Mary and you get Mary to ask Jesus something, even if he kind of doesn't want to do it, woman, what does that have to do with me? Well, Mama asked, and so he'll do it anyways. Okay? I think plainly, if you just read John 2 without Roman Catholicism as baggage being brought in and Mary as intercessor, you do not end up with Mary as an intercessor. It's not in the text. But let's not major in minors with that. We didn't come believing that probably in the first place for Lutherans, right? If anything, maybe this shows the humanity of the narrative, that the mother of Jesus is there. I mean, invitations have gone out, right? This is so just, you know this, Casey's, right? (laughs) They're prepping for a wedding, right? Invitations go out. People get invited. People show up. The mother of Jesus is there even. It's so normal. Family, friends, neighbors, normal problems are happening. They run out of wine. Oh, no. Right? And you still have a mother meddling in her adult son's life. Right? This is pretty... Maybe this is just blasting forth the humanity of our Lord Jesus. But look at how our Lord Jesus addresses Mary. Woman, what does this have to do with me? All the feminist hairs on the back of the lady's neck stand on end, right? Woman? (laughs) And then you go, oh, but Jesus said it. (laughs) So he can't be this bad guy, right? He's got to be right. Woman. It's certainly not mom. Not mama. Not mother. But woman. Interesting. My concern, is this my concern? Is my concern your concern at this moment? You know that's not why I'm here, right? I'm here not just to bail people out of the jams that they're in. Come on. Almost like us reading this and saying, the chief miracle, really? Water to wine? Okay, God should be able to do that. It proves Jesus' divinity. Okay, great. But is that all that's before us, that Jesus is God? This is the chief miracle, the sum of all sums of miracles? That Jesus is divine? We get that. God should be able to do powerful things. Duh. He's God. 
But he says, woman, my hour has not yet come. Oh. Hour is a big word in the Gospel of John. John 7.30, John 8.20. They try to arrest Jesus, but they couldn't and they didn't. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. And then in John 12, Jesus says plainly, my hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he prays to the Father, Father, glorify your name as you did before the ages, right? And the Father replies, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And those who hear it said, oh, we believe now. Those who hear it said, was that thunder? And Jesus says, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. And I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Lifted up talk. Jesus lifted up upon the cross talk. Ah, the glorification of Jesus. The drawing of all people to himself. The manifesting of who he is and what he has come to do takes place none other than where? At the cross. And what does Jesus say at the cross? Woman. Woman. And he looks at his mother. Behold your son. His hour had come. And it's not a term of rebuke. Pat down those feminist hairs a little bit. And look to your Lord Jesus Christ. Feel compassion upon Mary as the sword pierces her soul as she sees her son dying before her, but also as she sees, ah yes, the wedding at Cana. Woman. Woman. What of the miracle then? Water to wine. Christ takes this odd timing. Kind of the wrong timing, right? The right timing is the cross. That's where he's glorified. That's where he draws all people to himself. But he shows forth his glory. He says, here, here, here. Look, believe, look, believe. And he has this odd timing. Timing that wasn't his, I suppose, but became his. This irrelevant situation. Water running, wine running out. And he now takes that and has it as a sign. Pointing to who he is and his work. He reveals his glory, his truth, his person, his work. And so, yes, he's with us for our everyday concerns, with family, with friends, when the wine runs out, right? He knows our needs. He meets us in our difficulties, and he provides maybe what's unexpectedly best, right? And yes, he is true God. He's able to do what God should be able to do. Take water, turn it into wine. Have nothing, say let there be light. Boom, light, right? He is God in the flesh. But he's used this wrong hour to point to his true hour on the cross. How? How does he do this with water into wine? Well, the Jewish rites of purification are over. They could only point to what was to come. They were so six, not so seven. 
right? Just not quite there, right? You get that, the devil's number, right? The hymn, right? Oh, little flock, fear not the foe, 666. You go, oh, what is it, credit cards? Tattoos? You're watching all these crazy eschatological end times preachers to figure out what 666 is, and it's just... Well, seven is a perfect number of completion, threefold giving perfectly, looks like the Trinity to me. Oh, blessed Trinity. And the devil wants to be him, but he ain't. That's it. It's not a credit card. Stop watching those preachers, by the way. (laughs) Okay, don't do it. He just wants to be God, but he ain't. It's a false image. He's not there. And so it's six. Fill him to the brim. Fill him over. Not quite there, is it? Those Jewish rites of purification. Wash all you want to. Dump your whole body full of water. No. It's incomplete. It's a lot. But it ain't enough. It never will be. The law never is, is it? When have you done enough? When? When you think you've done enough? When others have told you you're a good person? You're hoping for the scales to tip on your side or God to you know, grade on a curve at judgment day? No! We need something better than that. Something certain rather than guesses. Mere guesses. The law cannot say. We need the fulfillment to the brim. And Christ in the new way, in flesh, has come. And he will wash with water and spirit. For after this miracle and sign, there comes a discourse. That's kind of how it goes in the Gospel of John. Sign discourse, sign discourse. And what's the discourse? It's with Nicodemus about how one is born of oh, so good water, better water, no purification, right water, real water, water with the Spirit, holy baptism. That's the washing that Jesus gives. And he gives the new birth with that washing where he truly purifies his children. You see, the law was given through Moses, but the fulfillment, grace and truth, that's Christ's stuff. That's his glory on the cross. And our ways are different than God's ways, right? We would start with the good wine and sneak in the the inferior cheap stuff, right? Our ways are entropic, right? deteriorating, gradual decline. Every generation looks at the next and worries and then looks backward and says, I miss back when, the good old days. The new days, scary. 2024, right? Hmm. Well, with God and his will, With Christ and the birth, death, and resurrection of our Lord, what we see is that the new ways that God brings are better, even best. And isn't it? Can't you remember in your life when you finally tasted that the heavens were open to you? That it wasn't just a myth? That it wasn't just some guesses that somebody's patted you on the head and said, Yeah, you really love Jesus now. God now finally will love you in return. No, it was simply, Jesus loves you. Your God welcomes you. Heaven is ever open to you. 
Christ has died. Christ is risen. He will come again. The Lord favors you. Period. And you say, really? Because you, for some strange reason, old Adam doesn't want the sentence to end there. And then the only thing that's said in reply is, yep, really. Can't you remember the taste of that? The joy of sins forgiven? Knowing that you're purified before God? And the freedom that this gives you to live and to serve others? And then let's not forget in the wedding at Cana that their wine had run out. It was old. It was inferior wine. It couldn't get there, could it? The law isn't enough and it never will be. To put it in the context of the South, and especially the Gulf Coast, that wine can't keep the good times rolling. It can't. Christ restores what was broken. That's wonderful. He welcomes us to the foretaste of the wedding feast. (laughs) Where the church, where his bride, that wedding feast. That's where we will enjoy the best without end. No running out in the new creation. And he welcomes us to a foretaste of that today as we kneel. We don't want that feast to end. So let's take the 15 to 20 to enjoy the feast today. Now, of course, it seems out of order for sure. God's ways are like that. The best later doesn't make sense. And we go through that too in our lives. The world, oh, it's beautiful. Isn't it a beautiful world? Don't you want to just start singing Louis Armstrong, maybe? But then you overlay that with Vietnam and Robin Williams, right? And you go, ooh, is it a beautiful world? See, it's beautiful, but it's fallen. Groaning for restoration. Youthful bodies, vigorous, athletic. They age. They ache. But the inferior is leading to the superior. It's not going to be the gradual decline. It's the lesser to the greater with Christ. And so it is for us. It's the suffering before the glory. It's the lesser wine. It's the foretaste of the feast to come before the feast that's coming. And so it will be good forever at that great wedding feast with Christ as our bridegroom. And it'll never end. Peace be with you. Amen.